me pray for us real quick. God, uh, we pray that you would focus our minds and our hearts in this time. Pray that you would speak to us and help us to see your truth. Help us to see who you are. And uh, we pray that you would be magnified in our hearts. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good morning again. Good to be with you. Uh, if you're visiting, really glad you're here. If you have a Bible, we're in Matthew chapter 6, continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. In this part, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about religious hypocrisy. Um, people, essentially, who are pretending when it comes to faith. They don't really care about living righteously. Uh, what they care about is people think they're living righteously. Um, they, they don't want to develop and deepen their relationship with God. They don't want to live in a way that honors Him. They're not serious about Jesus because when no one's around, when no one's looking, none of that stuff matters. And, and it's just a lie. They're living a lie, and it's such a frustrating lie to live because uh, what you're doing is you're making yourself appear better than you are, and you end up looking down on everyone else. Um, that always ends up happening, because, because this kind of religious hypocrisy, what you're doing is you're practicing self-righteousness. Uh, your whole righteousness, or your appearance of righteousness, it depends on the act that you put on. And when you are serious about Jesus— like, you really do love him, and you want to pursue intimacy with him. You know that he loves you, and he's created you, and he's redeemed you, and you know you're a sinner. When you do that, your righteousness doesn't depend on the things you do. Your righteousness depends on the grace of Jesus. And so you can't look down on anyone, because you know I'm not better than anyone else. This is all a gift that's been given to me. This is an act of mercy that I don't deserve. And, and your practice of faith following Jesus, you're going to make that a priority in your life, no matter where you are, who you're around, whether you're alone, whether you're with others. Uh, I mentioned this last week, and I, I want to mention it again, that maybe for some of you who are here, Jesus in this part of the Sermon on the Mount is talking about you. And your faith is more of an image than it is a real substance. You're going through the motions to look like you're serious about Jesus, but if, if you just took an objective look at the last six months and how you spend your time and what you focus on and what you do and how you act, especially how you act when you're not at church or around church people, be honest, would it look like you're just pretending? That's what Jesus is confronting us with here. Do, do you really love God, or are you pretending? And maybe you're here today, and you're just like not a Christian, you're exploring, or you're like re-exploring your faith, and, uh, and so you're like, ah, oh, this is a little heavy. Um, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that. We're glad that you're here and that you're exploring, and honestly, this is actually probably one of the things where like in someone who's more of an outsider than an insider has an easier time just like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. You know, like from, from the outside perspective compared to someone who's been inside and has lived in a, a church environment for a long time, you're gonna go, well, yeah, if, if Jesus is real, 
if his forgiveness is real, if eternal life is real, if all that's real, of course that should matter to you. But if it's not, why waste your time with it? You know, what, what's even the point of pretending? And at the same time, I just want to acknowledge that although that does make sense to think that way, we need to acknowledge the powerful influence that self-image is on our actions. We care so much what people think of us, and a lot of what we do is motivated by how it's going to affect the way people look at us. And so, like, even to the point that we're willing to compromise our own convictions so that people will like us and approve of us, that's a powerful influence, and that's, that's what's at play here when it comes to putting on the act of being a believer in Jesus. Anyways, we're going to get into Matthew 6 now. He's already mentioned religious hypocrisy when it comes to generosity and when it comes to prayer, and now he's going to talk about fasting. So look at this, verse 16. Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure, they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Number of things for us to get into here, but the first one is Jesus is continuing the pattern that he's used in the last two subjects that he's brought up, where he says, uh, when you give, when you pray, now when you fast, Jesus is assuming it should be self-evident to his disciples, to people who follow him, that this is going to be a part of the way that you practice your faith. Like fasting is going to be a part of life. That's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, it, it shouldn't be like an abnormal or extraordinary thing. Like this should be showing up in your life. And that puts us as uh, Christians who are also modern Americans in a bit of a funny spot because not for all of us, but I bet for many of us, fasting is not something that has been taught very regularly or even modeled particularly well in like a helpful way. And so we either just don't think of it at all or we think, well, that's a Catholic thing or, you know, we just don't really know how to approach it. Except, again, around like Lent, like fasting, that's when you think of Lent, and it's not just the Catholic Church, but other denominations and expressions of Christianity will, uh, will also fast. Then. Other than like, you know, the examples we see in the Bible, like even for us, like, I'm not saying that we're hitting it out of the park here. I think I remember one time uh, in a sermon teaching and encouraging fasting as a practice. I think it was when we were in the Gospel of Mark, and I think that means we were in COVID during, like, the lockdown, and I think that means none of you heard what I was saying. Um, no, I'm sure you did. You've all been fasting since then, right? Um, and the Sermon on the Mount, like, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, it is a convicting thing for me to go, you know, Jesus just makes us such a simple assumption that this should be a regular thing, I, I do want to uh, put more of an emphasis on encouraging fasting because uh, Jesus clearly envisions it as, as part of our lives. Um, and, and I do know people who, uh, who fast and who make that kind of a regular part of their faith. 
but not everyone does, and it's not something that's always often talked about, and so, so people may not feel confident to even start or know how to go about it. So we're just going to talk about fasting. Um, first, just talking about what fasting is and what it's not. Fasting is when, for a set amount of time, you don't eat food so that you can better focus on God. Uh, you can, you can be, become more aware of your need for Him. That's a big part of this. You become more aware of your need for Him, and included with, you know, not eating food, there are things like prayer and reading the Bible and just being more mindful about God's presence and his truth and your need of him. So that was kind of a rambling definition, but that's essentially what it is, all right? Uh, there, there aren't really any hard and fast rules when it comes to fasting. Like, it has to be done this way. It has to be done for this set amount of time. Anyone who tells you that there is, that's legalism. Legalism is when you make up rules that God doesn't make up, and then you enforce that on people, and if they don't conform to your rules, then they're sinners, and that's, it creates a big mess. Um, we do know some of the ways that people practiced fasting in the Bible and at the time of Jesus and in church history, and so some of those ways that it was practiced would be like from sunrise to sunset. Uh, that is the time that you fast, or from sunset to sunset, or uh, from sunrise to sunrise. You know, th those are some of the common ones, but it doesn't even have to be. You could even fast from a single meal and just set that part, uh, set that time apart for, for focusing on God. Um, so you can decide for yourself the amount of time that it is. Um, I just want to say two things that fasting is not, because there is a little bit of murkiness that I see in these two areas. Maybe there's more, but these are the ones that stand out to me. Um, first, taking a break from social media or your TV or your phone or technology or hobby or whatever it is, that's not technically fasting. You can use it for essentially the same purpose where you're focusing yourself on God, and that's a good thing. Um, but every time fasting is mentioned in the Bible, it's referring to taking a break from eating food. And that's 100% of the time, that's how everyone who, who read the Bible, who are the original people the Bible was written to, they all understood that context and that's the way that it was practiced. Uh, instead, when you take a break from anything, like your phone or whatever, uh, there is a word for that, and, and the word is abstention or abstaining. You abstain from um, whatever you know, practice it is and use that time to focus yourself on God. It, it's just distinct from fasting. Uh, Paul, actually, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, he mentions this, and he's talking in that chapter about marriage and husbands and wives, that they should have uh, physical intimacy in their marriage. That's an important thing. You know, it strengthens your relationship. It helps you connect on a deeper level, and it's not something that should be absent. And, that, and that's true. You know, there's not a lot of really terrible, message, uh, terrible marriages that are really great at physical intimacy, it's, it's something that helps. But he does say this. He says, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. 
You see, it's kind of the same purpose that we get for fasting and, and even the same process. There's a set amount of time. It's not forever. Like, you don't forever neglect eating food. You don't forever neglect physical intimacy in your marriage. Um, but in the time that you do, you turn yourself to God. But he doesn't call it fasting. Um, the reason it's important to make a distinction here is the food is actually a pretty important part of what fasting is meant to do and what it can do for you. When you take a break from social media, it doesn't have this, like that can affect you, but it doesn't have the same kind of physical effect that not eating for a day has on you. Like you could have, oh, but if you get like a physical reaction response from like not being on social media for a day, do it for longer. <laughs> Something's not, you need to be fixed. Um, but it, again, it's not the same as, as food because when you fast, when you take a break from eating food, the longer you do it, you actually start to feel physical hunger pangs that can hurt you. And you look at this. This is Jesus in Matthew 4 when he's beginning his ministry. This is what he does before he begins his ministry. Fasting is a part of that. And, uh, and so let's just read it together. This is Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yeah, you know, sometimes when you're reading your Bible, and if you just kind of breeze through it, it slips something in there that feels like a major understatement. Um, 40 days and nights of fasting, and then he was hungry. Feels like an understatement. Like, I'm hungry when I'm waiting for dinner, and it's been 30 minutes since my pre-dinner snack. That's he was hungry. Like, 40 days and nights is... For us, it's impossible, okay? Like, let's just recognize that there. This is not a command that if you're like a serious varsity Christian, you're gonna fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Don't do that. Uh, you're gonna hurt yourself and die. Um, Jesus is the Son of God. This, he's led up by the Spirit for this special time of preparation for his ministry. And, you know, it, this is a special thing. Uh, and he's also in human form, so you can't just say that like there's no you know human part of this. So he is definitely feeling his hunger, and it's definitely more than just he was hungry. Like it hurts. But when Satan tempts him to break his fast early and prove himself, even though he doesn't need to prove himself because he knows who he is and he doesn't need to you know assert himself in that way. Uh, Jesus responds saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The hunger pangs that you feel in fasting serve as reminders that as much as I need bread to live, I need God so much more. I need God, I need his word, I need relationship with him. God is the one who satisfies the hungers of my soul. This is what Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes. Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived apart from Jesus. 
And, uh, and Solomon is describing in Ecclesiastes chapter three about the emptiness that, that every person feels, that there's, there's an emptiness that you've experienced and you know where you, you wanna be happy, you wanna be fulfilled and satisfied, and you chase your different goals or things for it. If I could only get this, if I could only get that, if I could achieve this, if I could have all my needs met, then I'll be satisfied. But you get it, and you realize it's not enough, I want something more. Like, that's the feeling. Nothing can totally satisfy that, that feeling you have. We have this emptiness that kind of follows us everywhere we go as we try to, uh, to, to fill it with all these other things, and even good things, but they're not able to do it. Solomon puts it like this, he says, he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What God has created us for, the purpose that he's placed in us and he's written it on your heart and in your DNA is a relationship with him an eternal relationship with the eternal God who eternally loves you. Anything short of that cannot fill in that eternal emptiness. Nothing else is big enough. Fasting reminds us what we really need. Man shall not live on bread alone. If I just get my physical needs met, if I just get my goals accomplished, if I could just have all the things I think I need, even that is not enough. And that's exactly what Jesus has arrived to give us. Like, this is the gospel. This is the good news, and it's good news for everyone here today, this morning, that the thing that you've always wanted, even if you can't put words to it, and it's just that kind of vague feeling of emptiness and longing, the thing that you've always wanted, the thing that you need and that you were created to have, you don't need to go looking for it because it came looking for you. You don't need to look for the eternal God who loves you perfectly. The eternal God who loves you perfectly came looking for you and sought you out. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in relationships, but I bet you have, that when, <clears throat> it's always hard to go first. When you have a problem with someone, like something's happened and words have been said, and you, you kind of recognize like, well, they did this, and I also did this, but their thing is worse, because their thing is always worse. You know, they did it first, or they were disproportionate, or whatever it is, and you're waiting because they need to be the one to come to you first, and then once they do, you can also apologize. It's so hard to be the one who goes first, to swallow your pride and humble yourself and, and be the first one to say, you're sorry and I wanna make things right. Um, free tip, by the way, if you're married, uh, whoever goes first is the one who wins, you know, so just do it, and, uh, and, and this isn't really a tip as much as it is a command, but uh, God says that, that the husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader in the home, and what the leader does is the leader always goes first, and so husbands, you're supposed to always go first. Don't let her beat you, even if she's the one who is wrong, which I'm sure she was, she always is, right? No, that was a test. You failed. Apologize for that. Um, or uh, another scenario, when, 
when you want to start a relationship with someone, like if you're at that point and, and you want to pursue a relationship with someone, or, or even if it's a friendship, like it's, it's easier to be the one who gets asked than it is to the, be the one who's doing the asking, you know? Because it's the one who goes first who is bearing all the risk of rejection. The one who goes first always has the risk of rejection. That's what makes the gospel such good news. That's why it's good news for you here now this morning. When it comes to your relationship with God, there's no risk of rejection on your part. He's already put himself out there for you. He's already reached out to you. In fact, Jesus is the one who takes all the risk. And he does. He gets rejected every single day by people he's gone as far as the cross for. All you have to do, all you have to do is say yes to him and to what he's reaching out to you with and offering you. And I don't mean to say that in a flippant way, that it's so easy to become a Christian. You just raise your hand, you just say yes, and then you're in forever and that's it. Like, there's a lot involved in that saying yes, to know what you're saying yes to, right? That, that this is gonna be something that changes your whole life, that following Jesus is gonna have a major impact on you. There is, there's so much that goes into that decision, but the point is, this is something you can receive really with no effort on your part because Jesus is the one who did all the work. And there's no risk of his rejecting you when you come to him. Look at what he gives you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read from the Gospel of John chapter six. I'm gonna read, uh, you know, a good, good part of it. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the one, the only source that can fulfill those eternal longings in your heart. All those longings, and this is just common human experience, the things that are in you where you want your life to be meaningful, you want your life to have a purpose to it. Jesus gives your life a meaning and a purpose that is actually satisfying, that actually matters because it, it matters for eternity. Like when you're in, in relationship with Jesus, when he's in you, suddenly your life takes on a purpose and a meaning that lasts for eternity. It never ends. What could be more meaningful than that? The, the love and the security that you've been longing for, that the fear of rejection, the fear that you're gonna be alone, the fear that you're not good enough, Jesus promises right here, he says, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. Like Jesus doesn't throw anyone away. He doesn't give up on anyone. He's not going to reject you. And he loves you so much, he went to the cross for you. 
He's gone further for you than anyone ever has or will or could. No one can do for you or give more for you than Jesus did. That's how much he loves you. And he's saying this is permanent. You don't have to fear losing this. The forgiveness and the healing that you've been looking for, where you've had things, you're carrying things. You have deep down, hidden away, but bearing the weight of it, guilt and shame and regret for things that you've done that you know, I wish I could take it back. I wish I could make it better but I, I can't do anything about this. I can't undo the hurt that I've caused. I can't undo the things that I am embarrassed about that I don't want anyone to know about me. Jesus sees those things. He sees it all clearly. Loves you anyways. Goes to the cross and takes them from you so he can pay your debt and set you free. He lifts the weight from you. You don't have to do anything to get yourself forgiven. Jesus did it for you. That's what he wants to give you. That's the bread of life. And if you're exploring faith today, or you're, you've been here for a while even, and, and, but this is just kind of clicking for you in, in a new way, and you're just going, I don't, I want this. I don't think I have it, but I, I want this. I, rec- I need this. What do I do? The answer is faith. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. When you put all your trust in Jesus for your salvation, none of that trust in yourself. And here's, here's what that looks like. Someone asks you, uh, why do you think you're forgiven? Why do you think you have eternal life? If you start your answer listing off, while well, I go to church, I read the Bible, I pray, uh, I, I, I got baptized, I fast, I even do that one. You know, I'm trying to be a good Christian, I'm trying to follow Jesus' example and just be the best Christian I could be. If, if that's your answer, your faith is in you, it's not in Jesus. Your faith is in yourself. It's not in Jesus. What it looks like to have your faith in Jesus is, you know, the answer to those questions, why do I think I'm forgiven? Why do I think I have eternal life? It's because of what he did for me. It's because he went to the cross for me. He forgives me. He loves me. He extended grace and mercy to me. That's the only reason. And that's the only thing I trust in. And it's from that that all the change in your life comes. See, like, fasting is a good thing. Just like praying is a good thing, reading the Bible is a good thing, going to church, being in community, following the example of Jesus and being more obedient to him in your life. Those are all good things. But doing good things is not how you get salvation or get God's approval. And if that's what you're using those good things for, if I do these good things, then I'll know I have God's approval. If I do these good things, then I'll know that he forgives me. If that's what you're using them for, they're simply becoming tools for your own self-righteousness. Because again, you're depending on yourself. Those good things are only good things when you use them for what God tells us they're for. 
They're not how you get it. There's how you, you practice and you grow in your relationship with Jesus. He did all the work. He's the bread of life. I don't know if you remember, 20 minutes ago, I said I want to tell you two things that fasting is not. First one went on for a long time. Buckle up, this one's longer. Uh, no, it's not. Um, the other thing that fasting is not, that I just want to make sure we're all clear about, is um, fasting is not like a way to diet, like biblical fasting. Like, and I get it, like intermittent fasting is like a new trend and people love it and baby, I should look into it myself, you know? Uh, but if you're using fasting for the purpose of your diet and your health and becoming healthier, let that be the purpose of it, and that's not biblical fasting. Like, you don't get to kill two birds with one stone here, uh, because you just kind of spiritualize something that has another motivation, and so just don't do that, okay? I'm not saying intermittent fasting is a sin. You can ask the Holy Spirit about that. See what he tells you. It's probably not a sin. Um, as long as you're not, you know, putting on this, this extra thing, like, oh, this also makes me more spiritual. It doesn't. Um, now, back to Matthew 6, and we can go back to Matthew 6 up here. Jesus' instructions. What, what the hypocrites were doing is while they were fasting, they're really, like, hamming it up. You know, they're just acting extra and exaggerated, making themselves appear gloomy and disfigured, trying to get everyone to notice them. Look at me, look at me, look at what I'm doing for God. And by doing that, they want to attract those gazes and people will look and go, wow, they're very serious about this. They're very spiritual. They're very holy. Good for them. That's what they want. And Jesus says, look, if that's your purpose, if you're, if you're not even using fasting as a tool to get God's approval, you're using it to get other people's approval, there's your reward right there. You got it. But you're not getting any reward from God. You're not getting any better intimacy with him when you use it that way. The root of this problem and the root of so many, maybe all of sin, it's at the root of it, is selfishness making it all about you when, and you might not even use these words, but this is what's actually going on. And, and you could probably recognize this in yourself if you really start thinking about it. But the problem of selfishness that's deep in us is when you think, I matter more than other people do. What I want matters more than what other people want. What I think matters more than what other people think even to the point that what I want and what I think matters more than what God wants or what he thinks. Whenever God disagrees with me, sorry God, I think my way is better. My, my thoughts matter more, my purpose values more, my plan uh, matters more. It's your world, we're just all living in it. You're the main character and everyone else is a side character. In your mind at least in your mind and in your actions and even when it comes to your relationship with God, to you, it's really all about you. Now, 
that's not really the case. You're not the most important person. I've met the most important person, let me tell you. It was, uh, you know how I recognized him. He was, the, he was the only guy in New Jersey who's not legally required to stop at stop signs. Like, you can only get that level of permission if you are the most important person who ever existed. And so I saw that guy once, and so he's exempted from this. But for the rest of you, it's not about you. Fasting is not about you. The Bible's not about you. Church is not about you. Your family's not about you. Your marriage isn't about you. It's not all about you. You're not the one who matters more than anyone else. And you can live that way if you want, but if you choose to live that way where you are the most important thing and what you want matters more than anything else, that is only going to make worse those feelings of emptiness and longing and just being unsatisfied and unfulfilled. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. It's about the God who created the universe and life and you and who loves you and redeemed you. And this is such a beautiful thing because just because it's not about you does not mean it's, it's not the best thing for you. This is the best thing for you that it's not about you, it's about Jesus because Jesus loves you and he cares about you and he wants to give you so much. He's the bread of life. Jesus is able to give you a happier, more satisfying, more fulfilling life through making it about him, being centered on him, living for him, listening to him, than any kind of life you could get when you make it about you and what you want and your plan and your way. It's a lot like marriage, and I think this is something everyone who's married needs to be constantly reminded about. Because if you're not constantly reminded about this, you might start to drift from it where if you make your marriage about your own personal happiness, if you think that's what the purpose of your marriage is for you to be happy in it, you will often be disappointed and it will be much harder to work through any conflict. It's just gonna poison so much of your thoughts. You'll start thinking, why don't I get this in my marriage? Other people get that. Why aren't they doing this for me? Why aren't they doing that? How come I have to do this? It's so self-centered and you start focusing on everything you think you're not getting and you don't even recognize the things that you are getting. If you make your marriage, well, first about God and then through what God tells us that here's how you act in your marriage, it's not about you, it's about you loving and serving the other person. And in that marriage, it's also about them loving and serving you that's a recipe for a strong marriage where you're gonna be so much happier in it. Like, don't you wanna be in that kind of marriage where, first of all, the person you're married to, they are looking for ways all the time to love and serve you and just make your life better. Like, that's great. But then also, all the effort you put into loving and serving them, you get to see how it makes their life better, and that's a reward on its own. You see, the irony is that there's so much more happiness for you in your marriage when you focus on the other person 
than you would get if you just focused on your own happiness and turned it into a thing. This is just to fulfill my own, uh, my own desire for happiness, for, for personal happiness. Do you see that? So when it comes to fasting, it's, it's the exact same thing. You're not putting the focus on yourself and the attention you can get from it or even the approval from God you can get for it. It's not a tool for that. And so when you fast and listening to Jesus in Matthew 6, it's probably not a good thing to like document it on social media, put it out there, and invite validation from a bunch of strangers because that validation is the only reward you're going to get. Keep it as, as something private between you and God where this is a, a way for me to focus on who God is, focus on he's the one I need, he's the one who can satisfy the, the longings of my heart. That's what I've received from him. And then, you know, if someone asks like, hey, are you fasting? Which is a weird question, but maybe you get asked. You don't have to lie. You could say, yeah, I am. You know? If you're trying to fast and someone offers you food, you could just say, you don't have to be like, no, 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 no. I'm fasting right now. I've been doing it for however many hours. You say, no, no, thank you. And if they keep pushing and pushing, why not? It's really good. You should eat it. Then you can tell them, side note, if you're the person who's like pushing food on, just listen. If someone says, no, thank you. You know, it's like, I'm good right now. Next time for sure, I'd love to try it. Keep it as something private, something that is between you and God. That's what it's meant for. Now, again, if you're just at the starting point of all this and you're thinking, I, I don't even know what to do with this. Like, I get it. I see it. But like, how often am I supposed to do it? Like, yeah, I just don't really quite know. Um, here's just two guidelines. Uh, one, as we see it practiced in the Bible, it would be practiced around certain holy days and, uh, and, and as part of just remembering certain things as, as a whole people of God. And so that's why even through church history, and it's not just a Catholic thing, but Lent, the, the time uh, from where we recognize Jesus' crucifixion, um, or, well, going to his crucifixion to his resurrection, that time could be a time that you participate in it. Again, it's not a rule, and if you don't do it, you're a bad Christian or you're sinning, but that could be a way for you to start practicing fasting and see what it's all about. Um, the other time we see fasting being practiced is when people are looking for wisdom from God about something, about a decision they have to make or something that's about to happen and you know, maybe it's a big thing or they're anxious about it or they're just looking for certainty and it's just a focused time to try and, and get answers from God and to pray and just to, to trust him with whatever it is that's happening. That's why Jesus does it before he begins his ministry. And so if you're at a time where you're like, I don't know what God wants from me, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, um, I, I'm real nervous about this thing that's coming up, you can take that time as, as a special time in your life and say, okay, well, I'm gonna try fasting. I'm gonna go for a meal, or I'm gonna go sunrise to sunset, or sunrise to sunrise, whatever it is, and I'm going to try and in that time focus on my need for God, 
I'm going to pray. I'm going to read his word. I'm going to try and spend time with him. And I want to grow closer to God. And that's what fasting is for. And when you use it like that, it is a great blessing in your life. So I encourage you when you find yourselves in those times to fast. It doesn't even have to be a special time. You can fast today if you want. Focus yourself on God. Recognize Jesus as the bread of life. Let me pray for us.